the U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Goal. The NWSL Championship is set, and it's not exactly the matchup we had envisioned heading into this weekend's semifinals. There were not one, but two big upsets in the Pacific Northwest this weekend. First, we had the Washington Spirit continuing their incredible late-season surge as they took down O.L. Reign 2-1 in Washington. And then later on Sunday, the shorthanded Chicago Red Stars scored an even bigger upset by defeating the top-seeded Portland Thorns 2-0 to end Mark Parsons' time in charge of the Thorns as he moves on to take over the Netherlands national team after six seasons in the Pacific Northwest. On today's episode of All of Us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show, we're going to break down the two teams in the title game, their different roads to the showpiece event in Louisville, and we'll look ahead to the biggest game of the season. Welcome to the show. My name is Seth Fertelny, and joining me as ever is Goals Women's Soccer Correspondent Amy Ruskai. Amy, how's it going? Good, good. How are you? I am doing well. There were uh, a couple of really interesting games that I'm looking forward to kind of diving into. Um, I think it definitely is worth talking about the Washington spirit as a whole and what they've been through in the last several months because it's a it's a story in sports unlike any that I can really remember. Uh, you know, everybody in the NWSL has has dealt with some form of distraction or disturbances or trauma or something this season. But I think what what's going on in Washington just sort of defies belief. Yeah, and I think it's hard not to sort of celebrate as a neutral that the players have got to where they are and have got through that and they're playing in the way they are and you know when the players talk about the group and like the the spirit in the group it seems like you know the last few months has been so positive and just sort of working with each other and yeah I mean you mentioned about it's not the final that we envisaged um I know over here in in the UK we love an underdog so I think it's a really cool final um I've seen some people putting together like NWSL best 11s and have like maybe one player from each of these two teams a max so I think that's um I think it's cool I think I'm 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 very excited for quite an unpredictable um end to the season yeah and when you look at who would be in that best 11 when you're talking about Chicago we're not even sure if that particular player Mallory Pugh is going to be able to play because she was out uh with with some COVID protocol issues and and also some of their other bigger names uh have been out for for long spells of time and they're not going to be back for the for the title game but we'll get into that a little later I want to I want to start with the spirit uh you know kind of They've they've made they've made themselves the story in the league over the last few months. Um, first for very negative reasons, and and recently it's become kind of this classic overcoming obstacles redemption story. And I don't want to downplay the very serious issues that that have happened there and and still remain. But at least on the field, you know what they've done in the last few months has kind of defied belief after after everything they've gone through. I, I think, you know, we could spend this entire show just delving into all of the off the field issues that, that they've gone through uh, in the last few months. But we have to start in, in August when there was a bombshell Washington Post report that detailed then head coach Richie Burke's alleged verbal and emotional abuse of, of several players. Um, you know, key to that story 
was former Spirit player Kaya McCullough going on the record. Um, there were a couple players that spoke off the record about about Richie Burke. There were a couple players who lended a quote to the story but didn't use their name. Um, but having that former player kind of speak out and say exactly what happened to her really made a big difference. And, and from there, Richie Burke was suspended and Chris Ward, his assistant, was brought on on an interim basis. And then eventually uh, Burke was dismissed after a league investigation. Yeah, and I think that the key part to, to that story as well is that he was initially sort of stepping aside from the role for health problems, wasn't he? And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, actually, like, this is why. Um, which, yeah, I mean, we, we've talked about what's going on in the NWSL this season on this podcast a few times. And um, like I just said, I think the fact that he's kind of moved on and the players seem to be in really good spirits in the group they are now, like you see the results, you see the togetherness. It's it's hard not to root for this team to do well when you know kind of what they've had to go through all year and how great they have been the last few months. And you can kind of see them playing with a smile on the face. And yeah, it's really nice to see. Yeah, getting at the initial justification behind Burke's departure kind of brings us to another ongoing issue in, in the spirit season. And that's the very public ownership battle between Steve Baldwin and his co-owner, Michelle Kang. Um, Baldwin hired Burke two years ago, even though there were reports of Burke engaging in the kind of behavior he was accused of with the spirit during his days coaching uh, youth soccer in the Washington DC area. And this was known before Burke was even brought on and there was uh, an outcry uh, among among some fans among some some parents of Burke's former players saying don't hire this guy um but Baldwin and his um his former CEO Larry Best uh went ahead and with the hire anyway because they had a a personal connection to Burke they felt he was the right man for the job when the information came out about what, what Burke had allegedly done with the spirit that, that led to kind of a, a fan backlash against Baldwin, the, the, the team's owner. They have been very publicly demanding that, that he sells. And, and, and then, you know, this, this got ratcheted up to a whole new level when, first of all, Kang came out with a, a letter to, to season ticket holders and investors that became public uh, demanding that Burke or demanding, sorry, that that Baldwin sell his stake in the team to her, and accusing him of fostering a, a toxic environment in, in the workplace, and and not taking these complaints seriously, uh, and, and then in an even more extraordinary development, the players themselves called on Baldwin to sell the team in an, in an open letter. Um, I can't remember anything like that ever happening. I can't remember the team, the players of a team publicly demanding that one of their owners sell the team to another owner. Yeah. And I think, I mean, it goes back to what we've talked about before that kind of like, you know, knowing that this guy had like a, in Burke had like a, you know, maybe wasn't the best guy in terms of like 
harboring that toxic environment and actually appointing somebody when you know people have been saying well he's done this before but continuing to go through with it you know it goes back to a lot of what we've kind of seen in the NWSL it's kind of like knowing something that you know should probably be an obstacle for for not bringing somebody into a club as they might create a toxic environment but continuing to do it anyway so um yeah I mean you just kind of it's the at the end of the day the players you know, are in a in their workspace and aren't in this environment they feel, you know, happy or comfortable with, and it's such a shame. And yeah, I mean, hopefully, it's I mean, it's been rumbling on for quite a while, but you just hope that it's something that's resolved kind of quickly, even if, you know, that maybe not the that might be quite optimistic. Um, but yeah, like, you yeah. know, no no player should kind of go to work and and think about this kind of thing. They should they should be able to go to training and stuff and you know focus on football and you know a lot of that attention has been elsewhere this season which must be incredibly difficult yeah the, the good news is it does seem like Chris Ward has restored a sense of stability there and, and the players seem to really be responding to him the bad news is as you said the ownership battle is still ongoing uh it does seem like Baldwin is gonna sell the team eventually uh but he seems to be steadfastly against selling the team to Kang uh, for whatever reason, there there have even been reports that he's turned down uh, a bid from Kang that's well over what what the team is valued at, and well over what Baldwin was even asking for. Um, so now there's reports of other bidders coming in, and in the meantime, on the field in in early September, the Spirit, when dealing with everything going on with their coaching situation, with the ownership situation, had to forfeit two consecutive games due to violating league COVID protocols. Um, And at that point in the season, the spirit were kind of mid table. They were kind of fighting for a playoff position and having two, three, zero losses without stepping on the field kind of seemed like the end of their championship push. Um, for everything that was going on off the field, they, they, they still had a chance on the field, but that's pretty, pretty devastating when the season's in its last two months. And so when that happened, it was like, all right, now they, when that happened, it was like, all right, that's, that's probably going to be the end of their season. But uh, then they just kind of went on this remarkable run. And, and, you know, I want to, I want to talk a little bit about what they've been doing on the field as well, since we've spent so much time detailing what's been going on off the field. First of all, they have not lost a game since Burke left the team, uh, not including the forfeits. They've had 11 games. They've had eight wins in those games and three ties. And since the two forfeits, they have been in even better form And since those two forfeits, they've played eight games, including the playoffs, and they've won seven of those and tied just one. I think it's crazy as well. Like, we just spent a significant period of time kind of teeing up what's been going on for them this season. It sounds like you would kind of be teeing that up for, like, you know, we hear crazy, everything going crazy would would sound like, oh, well, now the bottom of the table and, like, this star player's left and this has gone on. Like, the way that you tee it up like that, if you were telling somebody that didn't know the story, they'd just assume, you know, this terrible ending. The fact that you, like, that the context of their season makes 
what they've done to get to this point even more like just kind of insane really yeah so how exactly have they done it um i think i think we have to to start with with aubrey bledsoe um you know she's the 2019 goalkeeper of the year in the nwsl and and she's just really been mostly outstanding throughout this entire season you know she one of those players kind of on the fringe of the of the national team she got called up this year for the january camp but she got passed over for the friendlies against australia later this month um she seems to be kind of in that that group behind Alyssa Nair, kind of jockeying for position uh, but if she continues to play like she has been you know she's gonna get another shot um but also there were two really key acquisitions in the back line ahead of this season and those were national team veterans kelly o'hara and emily sonnet along with sam staub they've kind of formed a, a really sturdy back line that has gotten even better under under chris ward uh, and now they are routinely shutting teams out or only allowing one goal. In fact, the last time that they allowed more than one goal in a game was all the way back in August. Yeah, and I think like what's really nice is they have this really strong defense, but then they have this like in Andy Sullivan sitting just in front of it. They have this kind of glue that then links, you know, this really strong defense to. The really exciting attack that they have, like she's not kind of like a nat- like a Juliet style defensive midfielder, but she has, you know, these defensive abilities, but can also then kind of play make from deep. Um, and I think that is to link the two parts, the you know the players that I know we're we're definitely going to talk about in the attack to that defense that you've just mentioned. Like it's kind of kind of a really key thing that's that's helped them have such a great second half of the season because her form in particular, the second half of the season has been outstanding on the field and off Andy Sullivan is kind of embodies everything that the the spirit want to be um and I think that her leadership even though she's still a, a relatively young player you know she's she's a veteran of this spirit team she's one of their key players she's one of their leaders and with all the stuff going on that we mentioned off the field you know having somebody like Andy Sullivan there for for stability for for players to look to for leadership to organize them on the field. Uh, I, I don't think they would be where they are, despite the fact they have great players up and down the field. I don't think they would be where they are without Sullivan. No, she's like the glue. She just holds everything together. And I think if you don't have that key piece to connect that defense and that attack, then, yeah, it's not the same team at all. Yeah, you know, and, and you know, we'll, we'll have to talk further up the field about, you know, the the, the two players that have kind of become the the standard bears for their attack and maybe even the standard bears for the u.s national team's attack moving forward and trinity rodman and ashley sanchez um you know they're so exciting fun to watch that you you almost overlook a player who won the golden boot this year is an mvp finalist and just got called up to the national team again and and ashley hatch um, but with those players forming the core of the spirit attack, when you look at the spirits lineup, it's more U S national team players than non-national team players. And, you know, if you looked at the lineup, even a year or two ago, there would be like maybe one or two fringe national team players. And now it's like, this is 
more U.S. national team players than non-U.S. national team players when you start, when you consider Sanchez and Rodman just got called up, but she turned down the call up. Ashley Hatch, Sullivan, O'Hara, Sonnet, Bledsoe's been there. And, and all of a sudden, you have this core that, that looks to be you know, uh, formidable for club and country in the, in the years to come. Yeah, I think, like, you know, for US women's national team fans to see Rodman and Sanchez kind of, like, combining as they are and then thinking about how, you know, that could transfer onto an international stage is, um, I mean, it's super exciting. Like, I think the crazy thing for for me was kind of, like, the way that Rodman's kind of taken to this season has been, like, insane. Like, Like, we all knew she had talent. Like, people, you know, the way she performed in the youth national teams. But then, like, to go from high school to the NWSL, the way that she's done and, like, adapted is just, like, it's crazy, like, to kind of hone that raw talent into actual, like, real consistency and at the highest level, at senior level, and just kind of constantly want to improve and see her, like, week by week, the way that she is improving, like, her finishing, her passing, her movement off the ball, like, um, yeah, it's kind of weird because you don't want to hype her up too much because she's, like, she's a kid, she's young, you don't want to, like you know, this is going to be, like, the, the future best player in the world sort of thing. But when you watch her, you just, like, you can't help but kind of, like, hype because she is that good. Yeah, and it, it's just happened so fast for her because I remember going into this season, it was legitimately a question of whether she would even get much playing time. Um, not because she wasn't talented, but because, as you mentioned, she skipped college entirely and she didn't have really much experience playing against top-level competition. And from the very beginning of the season in the Challenge Cup, it became clear that not only was she going to play, she was going to be one of the Spirit's best players. And as the season's gone on, she's been one of the league's best players. And it's it's scary to think what she could be when you, when you look at how young she is still. All of us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Goal. Get the latest news and views on the U.S. Women's National Team and the NWSL on Goal. All of us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Goal. Find more U.S. Women's Soccer news and opinion on Goal. Let's talk about the Red Stars. Uh, there are two teams in this game, and we want to we want to talk about both of them. So, for the the Spirit, winning at OL Reign was a pretty big upset. Uh, OL Reign was the home team; they were the number two seed. But the Spirit were so hot going into that game that it wasn't a huge shock. In the meantime, in Portland, the Thorns went into that game as the clear cut favorite. They were the best team in the league. They won the Shield. And the Red Stars were missing, as we've mentioned at the top of the show, some key players long-term, like Alyssa Nair and Julie Ertz. And then you had Casey Kruger miss the game through illness. And then, on top of that, you had Kayla Sharples and Mallory Pugh miss the game through COVID protocols. On top of all that, Kalia Watt goes out halfway through the first half with injury. Uh, so, so this is just like a really strong team normally, but so depleted. And yet, they, they find a way to win immediately after Watt goes out. 
her replacement, Katie Johnson, scores kind of a, a sneaky near post goal that you wouldn't necessarily expect to go in. Uh, second half, Sarah Waldmo scores a, a really nice goal from distance. Uh, Portland, you know, they, they controlled a lot of the possession. They had more shots on goal. Uh, but Chicago holds out, and, and they, they get through with the 2-0 upside. Yeah, and I think it's amazing that they've, you know, kind of got here considering the injuries that you've had, they've had, sorry, that that you just mentioned, like, in a number of ways as well, because, like, Alyssa Nair and Juliet, they're, like, big players, not just in terms of, like, they're massive national team players that are really important, um, really good players. They're also players in the spine of the team. Like, you, you take out, you know, your goalkeeper and, you know, your six who, after the Olympics, would have gone to centre-back. Like, that's like, you know two massive key pieces right in the middle of the team and to lose them with their experience and their quality um, but also their leadership is like massive and the way that other players have stepped up with their performances but also with their leadership when you're missing players like that is um, yeah it's been absolutely fantastic yeah I think there's there's two players that really stick out for me that have kind of stepped up uh, in the spine of the team uh First of all, you have Morgan Gatro, who has put together an MVP caliber season, you know, a, a player that national team fans will have known for a long time. Um, when she was Morgan Bryan, she was a up-and-coming young player in 2015 who kind of stepped in and, and took on a big role in that World Cup winning squad. She was also on the 2019 squad, had a little bit less of a role. It seems to have kind of fallen off the national team radar a little bit in recent years, but at club level, she's been one of, if not the most important players for Chicago this year. One of the biggest reasons that they're in this championship game. And she's still at a good age where I think that she's going to get another shot with the national team. And then the other player is Sarah Gordon, Another another one who's been kind of on the fringe of the national team in recent years, but hasn't quite made that breakthrough. But she played every minute of every game this year as a center back, uh, and and when you have that kind of stability with with injuries all around, uh, that makes such a huge difference. Yeah, and I think like for Katra, like I think it's been so nice to kind of see her. You can see people sort of like talking about how good she's been and considering she's fallen off like the national team radar or at least out of the picture a little bit in the last few years. It's just really nice to see like a player who, you know, there's she's obviously a great player, but maybe hasn't got the, you know, the kind of attention or like, you know, she's she's been in the dark a little bit recently. So it's been really nice to kind of see her um, come to the fore again this year. And I know that Rory Dames has picked her out as one of those players that's been really important to filling in the, the sort of leadership vacuum that's been there for Nair and Ertz not being there. Um, and then Gordon, I mean, like, especially because, you know, they've got Cassie Miller in there because Alyssa Nair's injured. To have Gordon in there providing that kind of um, stability, like you said, and just kind of reliability and just being absolutely brilliant in her position... Um, has been really important to kind of protect Miller. Um, yeah, she's been both of them, like you say, they've been so important to the to the spine of the team that's been really affected by injuries. Yeah, you know, and looking ahead to the final, you know, player for player, and based on form as well, you'd have to say the spirit are going to be favored a little bit, um, especially if Sharples and and Pew 
are not able to to return. You know, Pew has also been one of the the, the Red Stars' most important players this year. Um, Rory Dames said that as far as he knew, they were asymptomatic, and the team would like to have them for the final if they can, but that's uh, still kind of an open question. Um, and 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 if they can't go, you know, that's such a huge boost to the spirit, especially Pew, because. Uh, the Spirits back line, as we as we mentioned, has been playing at at, at such a high level recently. Uh, you know, Chicago doesn't have one of their biggest attacking threats. You know, that's going to be a huge blow. But again, I don't think we could really underestimate Rory Dame's ability to put together uh, a game plan that can frustrate the Spirit and that, that can manage to to get Chicago the the scoring chances they need. You know, they they don't often need many, but I would have to say the Spirit are going to enter this game as a as a favorite. Also, uh, Kalia Watt, I, I didn't mention, but we don't know her status as well, and that's another key attacking piece for Chicago. Yeah, I think the the fact that Chicago beat Portland though is like a massive boost. Like you know, I mean, this like you said, the the Spirit, you know, beating the Rim was was a, a little bit surprised, but not so not as much as um, Chicago beating Portland. I think. That'll give them like a real boost, and I guess if they do go into the game as an underdog, if you know there's a lot of talk about the spirit before the game and not so much about Chicago, then you know that might work in their favor because you know it's literally what they they just kind of did. They just kind of upset all the odds, um, and you know they're they're gonna back themselves to do it again. You know, to have Pew would be massive. It'd be a huge boost because she has that ability to win games on her own. Like she she can score that decisive goal. But I think even if they're kind of missing a couple of players. They've been missing a couple of players all year. Like I don't think it'll, um, I don't think it'll knock them too much. But I think, yeah, I think the spirit probably do go into it as as favorites. I think you're right. Yeah, and that's going to be a an unusual position for the spirit to find themselves in, right? Uh, you know, they've been kind of relishing this underdog role, this us against the world role that they've been playing for the last few months with everything going on, and maybe it's going to be an unfamiliar position for them to to go into a game actually expected to to win um and you know for the red stars they've made six consecutive nwsl semifinals and now they've made two straight finals and they have not won a championship yet um neither have the spirit so we're gonna have a first time winner but uh, for chicago you know if they if they don't get over the hump it's gonna it's going to really weigh on them going to the offseason, going to the next season, uh, because he, as successful as they've been to, to, to get so close every year and, and, and not win that championship is going to become more and more of a burden. So, you know, for them, this is, this is as good of a chance as any, you know, they've already gotten past the best team in the league. And, and as you mentioned, you know, they're going to they're going to have to really like their chances, even though the, they might enter the game as slight underdogs. Yeah. And obviously there's a few players in that team that are kind of part of those past disappointments. So I think that's a little extra sort of fire in their belly um, that they have, like to, to get so close in the past. And, and yeah, like you say, go into it this year and maybe really fancy their chances. Um, they'll be there'll be players in there completely driven by disappointment. Um, and that could be a factor as well. Um, but also the experience of having been in that final before is is quite big. Like you know, I'm I'm not for a second doubting that Trinity Rodman's going to um, be. I'm not saying she's going to be scared and and nervous and you know break down. But you know the the kind of like experience that Chicago have in their team that could be quite big in in a final for 
some of the spirit players it's it's a completely new experience and you have to factor that in because it's the biggest game of the season like that could that could be a thing saturday in louisville the game kicks off at noon crucially not at 9 a.m as it had previously been scheduled for in portland uh thankfully we made that change but uh it should be a great game and as mentioned we'll end up with the first time nwsl champion uh so looking forward to that and we will end it there thank you so much as always for listening and as a reminder as always please leave us a rating please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and we will chat to you all next week all of us the u.s women's soccer show from goal get the latest news and views on the u.s women's national team and the nwsl on goal